You're about to hear my conversation with Steve Locke. We talk about fixed income investing in ultra low rate environments, where he searches for yield in asset classes like high yield, floating rate loans, emerging market debt, private credit, and alternatives. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm excited to be here with Steve Locke. Steve leads our efforts in fixed income, and he has recently been appointed to CIO Fixed Income and Multi-Asset Strategy. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me back. Steve, I really invited you back to help me answer one question that I have, which is with ultra-low interest rates on most government bonds and investors not being able to count on a lot of yield from investment grade and government bonds, how should investors be thinking about their fixed income allocation? Well, it's obviously, Matt, a great question for today's yield curve, which, uh, as you pointed out, is very low. Um, it's actually certainly lower than we've seen in our investment lifetime for developed markets and for Canada in particular, or if you're a U.S. investor. Um, sure. It's a it's a very little yield to work with on the government curve. But we have to remember that fixed income is really quite multifaceted. There's a lot of different areas to invest in there. And some of those areas offer us a little bit more yield. So when you, when you sort of cast our eye to the market today and we see very little yield in the most familiar places, we can think about how a portfolio could actually be constructed a little bit differently today um, to provide a, still a reasonable level of income in a low yield environment. Um, but also specifically in ways that suit the risk profile of a fi the fixed income sleeve for the investor. So it's not, it's not simply a matter of throwing up our hands at this point and saying, well, there's really nothing left here to invest in. That's, that's really not looking broadly enough at the fixed income universe. And I'll also just point out that, in fact, um, this isn't unfamiliar now. We've been in a low yield environment, albeit we're a little lower today. But a low-yield environment since the great financial crisis in 2008, when we first saw the Fed and the Bank of Canada lower their policy rates down close to zero, and yield right. curves really fell quite a bit. So it's is uh, not unfamiliar territory for us actively managing fixed income now for the last decade in such an environment. Sure. Um, I'd suggest uh, just a couple of follow-ups, I guess. The... Um, the yield curve now uh, seems like it's not only lower, but it, it's um, it looks like it's projected lower for for longer. Um, and I, I'm curious how that impacts uh, thinking about uh, government and investment grade fixed income. And then also curious about what you're doing uh, within your strategies that permit flexibility, where you're trying to find yield and and think. How do you think about um, reaching out for yield, but ensuring that fixed income, which has traditionally been sort of the ballast of the portfolio, the conservative piece, how do you reach out for yield and, and yet not take on too much risk? Well, that that is the question that I think should always be front and center in, in any investor's mind when they're thinking about building a return profile in their portfolio. 
it's always, of course, a great objective to think I want to achieve more return. But when you're doing that, the cost is often more risk that comes with it. So we want to be very careful about that in the reach for yield or in seeking out greater yields in the fixed income portfolio. Um, so the first part of your, your question there, uh, yes, you're right. When we look at the yield curve, in particular, the short end or the front end of the yield curve, so bonds going out to say three years or four years or five years to maturity, on the government curve, we see it's fairly flat there. There isn't much of a sl upward slope to those yields, which you might normally see. And so this is, in fact, the market projecting that yields are going to remain relatively low. In fact, policy rates are going to remain low into the next few years. And this matches what the central banks have been telling us in this uh, pandemic environment that we've been investing through and living through for now many quarters. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a low yield environment and it's likely to remain so partly because the policy rates are not projected by the central bankers to rise for the next couple of years. Now, this doesn't mean that yields can't rise. And that's one of the, I think, principal scary features to, to investors about the bond market today is that what if we get a reflation of, of, of the global economy and we see, start to see inflation coming back and growth coming back in meaningful ways that will cause investors to buck the bond market and move into other assets? And that's where uh, the, the, uh, the, the problem for a certain type of bond, and it's the ones that we traditionally know, a fixed coupon bond, something with a duration, uh, that's where the problems begin because uh, you'll have that negative price associated with a rising yield environment. So we would seek out other areas potentially to invest to avoid some of that risk. Part of the active managed solution and fixed income would be to, to think about where the risk and return is more favorable across a wider area of fixed income. And we might look into the corporate market today and say, well, there's some opportunities there. Um, the opportunities that are there are not quite as robust as they were even a few months ago. Right. The yield spreads that we get in corporate bonds have, have narrowed quite a bit, but there's still opportunity there to be had to gain a little bit more yield and to be a little bit more defensive in the context of the, the uh, potential rising yield environment. So the last thing on the last point, uh, of your question, Matt, would be to say that, uh, you know, we need to think about the uh, the dynamics of, of risk and return in in the context of this uh, this upcoming environment. So it's uh, there's a lot of maneuverable pieces that we can use in a portfolio to protect against a rising yield environment if that was to come about. But what we want don't want to do with a with a client portfolio when looking at the broad selection of assets and risks that they're taking, including stocks, is completely abandon the interest rate risk element in the portfolio. So the duration that we just talked about. Right. If you move away completely from bonds, you, what you'll do is you'll correlate more highly to the equity risk in a portfolio. You won't have as that ballast that you talked about, which some people question is whether or not that's alive and well today. In, in context of the negative correlation against equity. So when equity prices are falling, are these high quality bond prices rising? The question would be from this low yield environment, can they rise any further? If you in fact look at the last three years and you look at jurisdictions like Europe, where which have had negative bond yields, in fact, not just close to zero, but actually negative below zero yields on their government right. curve, and in, in major areas of their corporate bond market, 
In fact, those bonds have still exhibited a negative correlation to equity market movements, meaning they do act as ballast even from there. So we have to keep that in mind that these are still these these instruments, these these high quality bonds with interest rate risk, are still something we should hold in some quantities in our portfolios. So uh, taking taking those comments um, under advisement and, and your your portion on the investment grade still having that negative uh, reaction, negative correlation with equity markets, which is uh, a really valuable characteristic since there's few assets out there that ha exhibit that same level of correlation. Um, put that aside, there, there's many investors that, that simply won't be able to afford to maintain the same level of investment grade fixed income exposure just because of the reduction in yield. Um, so how, how would you treat that situation where, where there's a need to um, reach out to gain a little bit more out of the fixed income or potentially size back the fixed income? How do you, how do you think about that in the context of a portfolio and, and where the risks are coming in? Right. So that's, uh, that's exactly the right type of uh, thinking around using other areas of fixed income in the portfolio. The question is just a matter of degree. Of course, it matters on an individual investor basis, how that investor is allocated in their overall portfolio to equities or to other risks. Right. So it's obviously very much critical to understand the total risk picture for a, for a client when thinking about making the changes to their fixed income allocation. But that's this is what I, I, I alluded to at the beginning, is that there is, in fact, a wide field of potential opportunity to create a risk-adjusted return from fixed income. We can use many types of, of bonds in, in the portfolio, or, in fact, other things that aren't Bond, that aren't fixed coupon bonds. In fact, we can use floating rate type instruments in there. And these, these types of things will diversify the risk. In some cases, we can augment yield. In some cases, we can augment yield and reduce risk. So there's, there's ways to do that. And it's going to, it involves using areas that aren't always front and center to clients who are thinking about just more traditional fixed income elements in a portfolio such as government bonds or high quality corporate debt, um, using things that, that are uh, adjacent markets that are you know, very liquid markets, very uh, uh, well-traveled uh, markets over the, the decades. And for certain types of investors, say institutional investors, are, these are areas that have are, are come forward and are being presented sometimes now to retail clients in packaging that, that makes sense for use in a portfolio. So things like floating rate loans, uh, right. types of uh, infrastructure uh, that provides a yield, uh, types of private uh, or public and private credit opportunities. Uh, these sort of areas will diversify the fixed income basket, provide some additional yield and some less correlated yield uh, in context of interest rate risk. Uh, these are areas that, that can be used and, and can be very helpful in, in the overall fixed income portfolio construction. Maybe give some examples on how you're thinking about using those, those different areas within uh, some of the portfolios that you manage uh, and, and how you think about balancing those uh, characteristics of 
um, of uh, yield versus uh, versus duration and, and interest rate risk. Yeah, for sure. We we are an active manager um, in most of the portfolios that we manage. We also have some that, that track indexes and, and so are passively managed. But for the most part, uh, a lot of the, the portfolios running are active. And, and that means that um, depending on the, the particular client need, we are looking at a range of different potential allocations and therefore risk that we can make for them. And so wherever we've we've been over the last decade, with clients, we've often looked for areas of the market that we're allowed to invest in that can help us diversify. So some of those examples that I just pointed to, we've been investing in for the better part of a decade for our clients, such as floating rate loans is a good example. Now, you can think about traditional areas of fixed coupon bond investing, like government bonds and high quality, what we call investment grade corporate bonds. High yield bonds, or what people used to call junk bonds, uh, is another area, and that's a little bit lower-rated companies that that form. Um, you know, usually a, a, a basket of of these would would be rated what we call below triple B by rating agencies. And this is this is these are companies that often have a little bit more cyclical risk or operating risk profile, or perhaps they have a little bit more leverage in their businesses. A little they borrow a little bit more heavily. Um, in terms of their their capital structure. And so that is an area that um, when people are looking for yield today, they're often going to look toward the high yield bond market. But right beside it, an adjacent market is the floating rate loan market. It is also a higher yielding asset. And these are, uh, these are areas that we've been investing in for, uh, as I said, almost a decade across our, our more flexible mandates. The advantage of loans is that they're floating rate, and they, in some markets, that means that they, when interest rates are rising, the coupon of these loans will rise as well. And it depends on what policymakers are doing to see that happen. But it's certainly, um, when we think about trading off different risks within a portfolio, loans offer that potential for a rising coupon in a rising yield environment that is... Um, effectively producing almost a zero or even a negative duration from that asset class. So that's where, when we think about certain episodes in the past, is it helpful to own a fixed coupon, higher yielding instrument, or a floating rate coupon, higher yielding instrument? And there's been periods of time where certain trade-offs within fixed coupon high yield, it's been very favorable to to sell those down and include a little bit more on the floating rate side instead. Um, examples of that would be, if you look around the, the taper tantrum in 2013, uh, as an example, right. when Ben Bernanke, of course, said in it was May that he might taper the bond purchases the Fed was doing at the time. That caused a very big gyration in the yield curve and ultimately caused spreads to widen in the high yield markets. But uh, obviously, it, it also meant that there was a um, a little bit of movement toward floating rate that started happening at that time. Another example would have been right after um, the Trump election win in 2016, where we again we saw a, a sort of a spasm within the yield curve, yields moving higher. Um, that was impacting areas of the high yield bond market, but loans were actually, uh, generally speaking, okay during that sort of 
period of weeks that followed that. So this is a uh, this is a uh, some examples, um, idiosyncratic examples of the difference sure. in how that played out in the market. But more broadly, you can get some great diversity from investing in higher yielding floating rate assets alongside other fixed income components of a bond portfolio. Great, Steve. So it seems like you've been uh, looking at the loan market as a, as a place for diversity, a bit of yield. Uh, what other adjacent markets have you been looking into uh, within some of your mandates? One area that we've expanded across uh, most of our mandates um, over the, the recent few months. Uh, so again, during this sort of very difficult period to invest in with um, an ongoing global pandemic, which is affecting so many people's lives, and of course, uh, also impacting markets. Um, one of the areas we've found that's been a little bit more robust uh, investment choice for us has been emerging market debt. Hmm. Uh, so we've added that to most of our core uh, plus mandates or uh, mandates that can buy non-investment grade related uh, areas of the market. So emerging market debt comes in two forms. It comes in what we call hard currency and it comes in local currency. So hard currency would be mostly thinking of that as the US dollar and local currency would be bonds issued you know, in the currencies of those individual emerging markets themselves. Um, we have uh, added a little bit to both, but a little more so to the local currency versions of that. So we like this as an area that's adjacent to high yield investing. Uh, and we've been inclined to add to emerging market debt in this way because of two reasons. Um, first is that we are expecting to continue to see ongoing recovery in economies and in markets. But yet we know, we think we know that, that central banks are going to remain low with the policy rates. In addition, should there be additional economic lockdowns and things as we navigate additional waves of infection with the virus globally, central banks are likely to continue to pull down on yield curves. So therefore, having exposure to these local market bonds, we think will, will uh, be favorable from a risk return perspective for, for those reasons. The second reason that we like EM local currency in particular over hard currency debt is that we expect there to be some continuing small weakness in the US dollar over the course of uh, months to come. Um, now this is a view that really centers itself on partly the, the recovery again, the, the, the economic recovery globally. But in addition to that, the maintenance of very low policy rates by the Fed, and we talked about that earlier, the Fed itself is expecting to keep policy rates near zero or at zero for the next couple of years. So that, that lends itself to perhaps some uh, reinvestment opportunity and a push up in the exchange rate for some local currency EM versus um, the US dollar. Steve, you've been talking about a lot of different asset classes, floating rate loans, high yield bonds, emerging market debt. I'm curious how you're viewing some of the newer asset classes, um, things that are, are sort of labeled as alternative. Think of your derivatives, your private credit, that type of thing. How do you think about um, how do you think about those asset classes, and uh, and what role would they play in a portfolio? 
I think that there's going to be increased interest in these areas, Matt, over the next uh, little while because of the low yield environment that we're in. But in addition to that, there's also new vehicles that are coming forward that, that allow investors access to some of these areas that were previously just the dominion of um, more institutional investors, say pension funds, endowments, or balance sheet based investors like uh, life codes. So as we look at the environment today, this is an evolving landscape that clients can access. Um, we, we invest, in fact, we actually manage some alternative products as well and strategies, but we also invest in ways that try to capture some of those alternatives or alternative styles of investment in our portfolios. Um, so what is, what is an alternative investment? Well, really what, what we're talking about is trying to get at, in the case of fixed income, a total return or perhaps a yield, we're trying to get at it in a more efficient way. And what it usually does is it combines a, sort of a, a, an asset or a basket of bonds with some derivative exposures, which either remove certain risks or magnify the risks that we want to keep and the returns we want to keep from that basket of bonds. So it's a more efficient way sometimes of getting at, say, that 5% or 6% or 7% yield. And you also mentioned private credit. Now, again, private credit is something that has not really been available to individual investors, uh, unless, of course, you were, you know, had a fairly large portfolio and were accredited as uh, an investor who could access, say, a private market. Um, these areas, though, are often fixed income, credit-oriented investments, but they come with different features. Uh, sometimes. Uh, you're lending to a company through a private bond transaction where the company is not rated, does not have any public equity outstanding, the bond itself is not necessarily tradable, and ultimately you, you may be able to structure the bond in a way that allows you access to certain uh, components of risk or, or, uh, or has some features that are downside protected in case there's something goes wrong with the company. So these are areas that are, are uh, again, not new areas of investment, but maybe new to individual investors. Um, we think that there's some opportunity here, and certainly in a low-yield environment, being able to access a mid-single digit or higher yield is difficult in the public markets today. Not impossible, and certainly there are achievable total returns there, but uh, sometimes it comes with a lot of risk, like uh, in a high-yield bond sense. When the markets turn down, high yield bonds will also have a, a can have a fairly decent drop in price. Some of these alternative products can be structured in a way to avoid some of that downside risk, and that may be helpful yeah. for clients. So alternatives potentially offer um, that, that yield pickup that you find in other areas of uh, quality adjacent uh, uh, bond areas or asset areas that we've been speaking about. Um, but don't have the same degree of correlation with equities. Is that is that fair? That is fair. Um, you know, you can't you can't uh, necessarily turn everything on its head when you're saying I want to achieve mm -hmm. a return that's that's meaningful to me in say a mid single digit sense, and I don't want any downside risk. Those things are that's that's very difficult, or it's not impossible to do quite often. But you can truncate risks or mitigate them significantly, or mitigate volatility. Uh, in a way that uh, some, sometimes allows for an easier ride through a difficult market period. So that 
that means you know you're you're again trying to access the right components of risk and extract the return from those uh, over the course of uh, uh, a market cycle. So we have portfolios that we've been running for many years, which have been able to successfully navigate a downturn in markets, such as we saw in March during the outbreak of the global pandemic, at least the outbreak in North America and the economic shutdowns that happened. The big drop in markets were not something that these portfolios appreciably experienced, and yet they, they, were, they were generating and they had gross yields in these portfolios that were a little bit more aligned with a high yield bond type portfolio, not so much an investment grade bond portfolio. So the small, the small amounts of drawdown that they experienced were something that investors appreciated, given that we were also generating higher yields than, than, a, than an investment grade portfolio. That's uh, very interesting. Um, that structure, I suppose, is uh, is something that needs to be carefully managed uh, on when to use these different components, whether it be investment grade, high yield, floating rate, emerging markets, these alternative strategies. Um, strikes me that a portfolio manager uh, would have to be increasingly tactical uh, in these scenarios. Would you agree with that uh, characterization, Steve? Yes, I think so, Matt. I mean, when we compare and contrast today's environment to uh, investment environments we've seen 15 or 20 or 25 years ago, we look at the, the, the available yields in the market and we say, well, there's, there's a whole lot less of it today available. So and especially when we compare it with like the run rate of inflation. So today, today's environment, I think, demands just generally uh, a greater ability to be tactical and we also know that you know there's there's been different um, so we've been through different cycles, and sometimes structural influence changes in the market as well. So there's always things like uh, regulatory change and and or or, inf- or ability to access information. These things change. It can allow uh, greater uh, tactical movement of assets at times. Um, and lastly, you know, there's event risks. I mean, event risks come up, and we've seen it many times since the global sure. financial crisis, the pandemic being yet another large event that had an impact on markets. Um, tactical and careful risk management uh, is is a component of what we do all the time, and uh, that pays off when you are respecting a discipline, thinking ahead, and trying to plan for the things that can come out of left field uh, and, and ultimately sideswipe your, your, your best intentions in generating yield and total return in a bond portfolio. So those, the ability to be tactical in a low yield environment to collect a little bit extra yield, but knowing that there's going to be these shifts that come from events or come from the end of the cycle uh, or come from other changes that affect the way markets operate uh, these things are, are something that is always in our, our view, and ultimately, I think it's it's more in demand than ever for for clients today. To say the least, uh, clients are, are obviously looking for solutions for the fixed income uh, sleeve. And Steve, I think that was very helpful to to frame the the uh, the different asset classes within the space and what you can expect for them. So, thank you very much for spending the time. Uh, congratulations on uh, on the recent uh, promotion to CIO, and uh, I really appreciate you spending the time. Matt, always a pleasure. Thanks very much. 
The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes, and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.